And they interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, Buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their you lives. Fire me up, Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Now, when I tell you doing the Neutron Dance, man, what and I always start thinking about, though, back in the days, right? Pre-being pre in the team, actually even in the teams that happened, was when you go out and you're having a big night, everybody's pushing the envelope, and then it happens, right? You're in Pacific Beach, you're at Chitnear Chicks, you're maybe overseas in Guam, and you're wearing your, your uniform, right? You're wearing your short shorts, your T-shirt, and your... Love loves. Neutron pants. <laughs> your neutron... No. Oh. You're wearing your flip-flops. And what ultimately happens, Marcus? <laughs> you try oh, it- get in a fight with flip-flops. I try not to. <laughs> or I try not no. to run. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You do something and you realize that was a poor fashion mm. choice. You have a horrible story, don't you, Wizard, I think about flip flops? I'll tell you what, that happened day. to me one time. I got a street fight with flip flops, and it looked <laughs> like I'd been in a 100 mile an hour motorcycle accident. At least my feet did afterwards. That was the last time I wore flip flops when I went out in public. It, I think that's why they totally. made that. It's kind of the uniform of the day shorts, the, the t shirt. Team so, guys? Yeah, so we won't get into a fight. Actually, that's kind of genius. No, no, but what? We modified that. It's reverse, they, that's that hold reverse on, psychology. Mo- but guess what? They, I, they modified that in the 80s with the invention of what? The Tiva, baby. The Tiva made it totally possible to fight in a flip-flop-like form. Oh, was that the 80s? Remember? Uh, uh, Dude, all know. you got to do is look at all the Team One pictures from them in the Philippines in Thailand, there dude. is that side of the argument. I mean, the Viet Cong the fought happened? in basically flip flops. The tubing, the tubing flip flops. Were they titties? Were those called titties? They had the the <laughs> bottom. The it had the rubber tubing. The rubber tubing was the it went, around came up, the edge, around the back of your heel. Yeah, and, and went through your toe. Those were kind of the first ones because you had the regular flip flops. Remember, it had that big old thick sole. Usually had the rainbow around the side of it. Oh yeah, the yellow and, bl- oh, and red ones. Oh, the, the first rainbow flip flops. And Brent. as soon as they got wet, like they got. Oh, you're out of them. Yeah, you're out. You can't I, even yeah, stay can't in even them. Put them. Yeah. Which is bizarre to me because why would you make a flip flop which is designed for the beach, designed around to be around a pool, and then as soon as it get wet, you're sliding all That's over right. in the, the son right? of a gun. It was slippery, and then the yeah. the. The rubber tubing ones. I remember they had the red, the yes. neon green. Oh yes. And I can't remember. I thought they were called titties, but that's probably not right. 
I can't help you on that one. I, I don't know. Right, oh, spill that part well, out. you were like you were like six back Maybe then. My dad called him that. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first pair of flip flops I ever saw, our our babysitter wore them, and her name was Belinda, and we called them Belinda shoes. Belinda shoes. You'd never seen flip flops. No, first time, and we we were asking, and I was like, "Hey, what kind of Belinda shoes?" Most Belinda I shoes. I think we should just rename them. Hey, we when we <laughs> bring when we bring Giff, Griff on, let's make sure we bring that up to him. We can change all. But here's the deal: you you made a great point, Combat right? Belinda. How many foreign <laughs> fighters have we fought around the world in our counterinsurgency insurgency battles, where our opposition is literally wearing the poorest footwear that's, you could that's ever wear? The secret to our success. That's the top secret reason. It's not that. night vision. Nothing. It's not it, weapon it, accuracy. Training, it's not training. It's not bombs. Any of that. It's just we're fighting people in bad shoes. Bad shoes. The, uh, and the bad car tire shoes. one with the cardboard in it has the... the <laughs> not the, the, the leather, the straps, but the... The straps. Yeah. The, yeah dude, the, the, and they can move in oh, them bro. things, man. Oh, bro. They're, well, you, you read the book Born to Run. Did you, did you read that? Uh-huh. All right. Well, you know how they the talk about... The, the Harachis from Mexico. Those, those are different. Those are way different than flip-flops. They're pretty similar, well, bro. They're tied all the way around the foot. They lace all the way up the calf. That's yeah, a completely yeah, but it, different piece of footwear. Like they're, still ru- they're still When you run and hit in that fine dirt or wherever of the northern mountains of Mexico, you're still getting pebbles in there, a little dirt between your toes. It's not a comfortable shoe by any stretch maybe that's because you don't know how to run in mexico there gringo you are you i think out of anybody at this this group right here i've run the most in mexico the most in mexico? Hey, the, the, them, them views oh, right there oh god the ops <laughs> the views right there the ops remember hey, those are, are those the titty ones no no no, no those those the, the, i need OPs. a picture of those for reference because i still don't know where we are i'm still that. looking for the, oh wait here i don't right here. you weren't even born when you those run the came most out. in mexico when yep. did you run in mexico running in tj from the cops running down in puerto nueva from different bars yeah. Let's just get off of this. <laughs> like, I don't even know where we're going. You know, the the worst is is your uniform when you go out in, like, because where I was, Southeast Asia, man, that is, like, standard operating procedure. They like, are called titties. I knew it. I knew it. Let's do that. T-I-D-D-I-E-S. Oh, titties. Oh, it's the, piece, it's the yeah. PC version. Oh, God. That's epic. Well, and but here's back to <laughs> my point. Those are new on those me. Are I haven't seen those. What I what I'm thinking about though is is you think about That's pretty smart though. Nice titties. You think about <laughs> You know what I mean? That's brilliant marketing. I'm trying to make a point. You're talking about titties, dude. Man, you told me to find them. I, titties I, I all had over a this. pair. Of There's all over this picture. I got a picture of titties all over the place right I mean, here. Look at There's like 10 different <laughs> pairs of on titties. We are lines of thought right now. 10 <laughs> different pairs there. I'm telling you what, the amazing fact is, is that people will wear just about anything to fight. You know what I mean? Because they don't have choices. And so what's amazing today about our guest is that he is out there taking this very ingrained component of culture, right? Footwear, the flip-flop, the the thing that holds 
so many different viable things in in everyone around the world. Now, everywhere you go, whether you go to India, you go to Southeast Asia, you go to Afghanistan, you go to Southern California, Florida, everybody wears a form of the flip-flop or the sandal, man. And this guy has taken this core concept of leisure mm-hmm. after spending his entire life, you know, or not his entire adult life, waging war against those who wear these things, flipped it around to help benefit the people that actually he was fighting. Bro, you can't make that up. You cannot make that up. Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host with David Rutt. What? Welcome to the Team Never <laughs> Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. And here we go. Here, I'm going to do a little bit more subdued this time. Okay. Here we go. Off to my right. From the depths and the bowels of hell. From the heavens incarnate. Of all things flip-flop. The wizard. You don't even wear flip-flops, though, do you? Anymore. For that one occurrence, you have given up the greatest footwear ever. Well... Do you own a pair of flip-flops? Hey, these are called big knockers. I I'll wear them in the house. <laughs> you got big knockers, chi-chis, tatas. <laughs> <laughs> original, except no substitute. <laughs> these are great. This is y'all's Christmas present. <laughs> Titties for everybody. Hey, look at it. Except no falsies. <laughs> Titties, puns are almost too easy. You could say it's low-hanging fruit, but that would be a pun, too. <laughs> I'm crying. You got to stop, man. You got to stop. I need to reach out and see if they want to advertise. I stand for <laughs> comfort above all and with any style that is unique as the free spirit who sports them. Dude, we got to make sure Griff sees those advertisements. He could incorporate that into it. He understand his competition. Yeah. Who, who is competition? And how serious they are. This is market analysis from... Uh-huh. Marcus Luttrell. Yeah, don't they pay people to do this for they him? They do, bro. <laughs> you can make mad. Dude, that's essentially what we're doing with our sponsors, man. Yeah. And we just want to say thank you to all our sponsors, On most especially our partner, Westwood One Podcast Network. Thank you all so much for uh, letting us be a part of the family and the team, man. We're super stoked to be a part of y'all. Uh, everybody listen, please go check out all the amazing podcasts they have or all the other shows that they're doing because they're basically reaching about a quarter of a billion people. <laughs> That's so, and all we want is 1% of that. naked big knockers. <laughs> and, and big black knockers. <laughs> Dude, look at <laughs> <laughs> God, my my gut hurts, man. They got replacement straps for him too. If we need it, if you, it, I also want. <laughs> I can't. My brain is just melting. If you, and we also want to say thank you to our listeners from all of them, from the deadhead dad to the beach bum babe and the horchata sipping hipster. If you walk to a beat of a different drum, you should probably be walking in a pair of titties. Grab a pair. That's their motto, dude. That, <laughs> Bro, bro, you are, 
bro, you are that is the best advertising I've ever had or in my life. I swear to God, we're gonna have Brian at Westwood give them a call, dude. All right. If you want to know more about what it is we do and why we do it, visit our website at tnqpodcast.com. All of our shows are there. You can download and listen right there on any ser- on any search engine or whatever on your computer and your mobile device. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Just look in your little magnifying glass there. Type team. We will be the first ones pop up there. Team never quit. Uh, subscribe, and then you can have us in your head morning, noon, and night. In particular, have Marcus there talking about titties. All right, the best flip-flops ever. Oh, no, we shouldn't do that. Jeez, that's with double Ds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just, Don't uh, misunderstand what we're talking about here. This is, this is safe for children. This is, I said this D. This is a family show. I said it. You didn't hear my correct pronunciation. Yeah, we're, we're and about. I still, I'll tell you what, I'm still going to hold my combat flip-flops against those, bro. Uh, every day of the week. Well, you're, no, that you're sounds like something we need to actually put Those are two test. different types of titties. <laughs> combat and... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got to pull that one out, dude. <laughs> you can listen to us also on CastBox. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, every other podcast type of listening apparatus out there that you want. Apparatus. Check out our merchandise, Good right? Word. Check out our merchandise. We've got new shirt, new shirts, new hat. We've got it all. Go visit us. Uh, visit our website, tnqpodcast.com. Also, all right. Here we go. Wizard, Yes. give us a, a phenomenal background on this guy coming on, who, by the way, I've been waiting for a long time. I can't believe he's finally here. He's such an amazing human being. I love following him out there on Instagram, on his website, all the all the philanthropic stuff he does and his mission in life, man. Can you give us a little more about Matthew Griff Griffin? I will. Griff, he is a former Army Ranger and... Most notably in... Take a knee, face outboard, drink water. As you've noticed, <laughs> as you've noticed, a lot of the jokes revolve around here. He is co-founder of Combat Flip-Flops, which is a company who takes a handful of special operations veterans and deploy back to countries affected by conflict. Um, his military story here starts in 2001 when he graduates from West Point. Yes, he is an officer type. Oh. Goes to Ranger School and... Gets assigned to the 2nd Ranger Battalion as a fire support officer. He does four deployments there between 2003 and 2005. And eventually leaves the Army in 2006 with a new mission. Which was in... Uh, actually, that's not true. Leaves active duty in 2006. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> well, <laughs> that part's not true. That was an absolute fabrication of the truth. He does some things there on the civilian side. He actually even then goes into some government contracting with uh, Medical International, working in Afghanistan. But then in 2012, he, along with a former Ranger buddy of his, Donald Lee, found combat flip-flops. Now, their mission, I'm just going to read it from the website here, to create powerful forward-looking opportunities for self-determined entrepreneurs affected by conflict. Our willingness to take bold risks, communicate, Community connection and distinct designs communicate. Business, not bullets. Flipping the view on how wars are won. Through persistence, respect, creativity, we empower the mindful consumer to manufacture peace through trade. So what exactly does that mean? It means that they have gone into conflict zones to help promote entrepreneurship and uh, economic development. 
So, for example, in Afghanistan, they have factories which produce sarongs, belts, scarves, smogs. Um, and Why is it called a smog? I get that wrong every time. Is it like shmeemag? Shmeemag. Shmeemag. <laughs> I think I like your pronunciation. Shmeemag. much more entertaining. Isn't it? Shmeemag. Shmeemag. And why? When and where did shmeemag get so culturally cool that everybody wears around thinking like all these you know hipsters? Funny? It, I see it all over the world now. Do you really? I, literally, I see it all over. Whenever I'm traveling, I see someone wearing. It's the same checkered. Pa- it's that pattern, too. Yeah. Not just the idea of, oh, it's a wrap for your upper body or, or it's head. This it's combat vacationer, it's right? The, hey, what I got we all of mine from that. Yeah. From, right in there. Tons of them down there. Do, you have uh, literally yeah, hundreds of them. Of them right? Do you wear them when you travel? I know. Come on, dude. I don't. When in Rome? But I'm not discounting their utility in certain situations. Do you wear... There's a reason why. So do you wear disguises? Middle Easterners as, as, as well as... I don't want to get into like some logical reason for it. I want to oh. get into the ridiculousness of it. Do you of wear a disguise when you travel, wizard? <laughs> Depends where I'm traveling, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the interruption. It's that kind That's of show. That's perfectly fine. Let's get back to what they're doing in Afghanistan here. So, for example, they start these businesses which provide jobs and some economic development in that area. And then also they use profits to, for example, in Afghanistan here, Aid Afghanistan for Education. It's a charity that provides secondary education for Afghan girls. Or in Laos, where they are, they're working, they're working with another charity called the Mine Advisory Group, oh, which awesome. works to pull landmines. Did I tell uh, you about my landmine fear? Like, fear? that was my biggest fear hitting Afghanistan. Like, I wasn't afraid of anything else. Like, I didn't have that, oh, getting sniped or a gunfight or anything. I was afraid I was going to get blown up. So how did that materialize? Do you have a story? Yeah, I almost drove into a minefield. I actually did drive our vehicle into a minefield, but I'll tell that later. If you were Keep in going. Afghanistan, you were in a minefield. $25 million when we hit the deck. $25 million, More than every other country in the world combined, $25 million. And we were driving those damn dune buggies. And they told you it wasn't a special place. <laughs> and I would work in the caches when we weren't operating, and there was an Air Force dude in there. I'll never forget him, man. He... All of there was four or five of them, and they were going out to obviously debt or decom some yeah. of those deals, and they doing one step backwards, stepped on one, and blew, and then we. Well, you know, Matt, that's how Yeti that, cup hole in his quad, dude. Like you could, yeah, you know, we're not to get too gravity, we're patting that up, and all there. It's like, all right, we got to lift his leg up to wrap that thing under. How do you lift that, right? <laughs> not. In front of the knee and nope. then behind the butt, because then that knee comes, that drops right out. <laughs> oh yeah, man, you got to uh, do the whole. We had yeah. like six people in there just trying just to lift it that up so we could wrap that thing up. I think the main reason I was so freaked out is because you just got blown up like a month before I got there, and so mm. that freaked me out. But I just it took me like almost a month to like settle into that you know and boy but it sucked man mine's are be, no joke right because a lot of times when you're out there what do they t- we don't walk on trails ever yeah yeah and the little rock things yeah. dude they, they unless they, we were there right <laughs> like keep your butt on the trail yeah, right, take right. the fight don't because whatever things on the side of this are a lot worse what, what's crazy is when i worked for blackwater i actually was doing uh, helping do the building project with uh, the Afghan border police and out in Herat, I had to go out there with this South African mine sweeper guy who was insane. 
And apparently all outside of the base that we were doing this out was mines everywhere. So the, I first I meet the guy. He's out of his mind. It's just he and I and a bunch of Chaziks and an old Russian helicopter flying across the country. We stop in Bamanier. That was bizarre. T-shirt. And then we're going out there. We land. And I'm like, all right, dude, uh, you know, I'm waiting for him to get all his like probing electronic shit, all that to go outside. And he's just walking out, walking around. He's just smoking his cigarettes. And I'm like, this guy is gonna die. Funniest dude I've ever met in my life, but certifiably insane. I think you have to be to be a mind clearer. Uh, even EOD <laughs> does some stuff. With yeah. <laughs> I'll stay. I'll stay over here. <laughs> Love right? you, buddy. Yeah, they had, you know, and uh, and all right, they flood the they bust up sewer lines and flood the streets. We were walking through there one time in, in formation. And there were some wires hanging down, like "Hey, EOD up." The guy runs up there and he's cutting the wires and whatnot out in front of us. Hey, you ought to hear him tell the story, man. He goes, "Cutting them wires, man." I look back and all I could see was little green eyes hiding behind everything. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, "Is it safe?" himself we're like is it safe man just, right, paul, cool. just leaving yeah, poor yeah, paul yeah, out paul, there yeah. thankfully paul didn't run out of talent uh, on that uh, one right? oh man Price god i'm sorry wizard i keep interrupting but the mind thing no that me. was worth it yep Any, okay so back to where we were the uh the working with mine advisory group and what they do is once they pull this <clears throat> ordinance out of the ground they render it inert they use the metal components to turn it into jewelry inside um That's and then cool. they of course donate a a significant portion of that back to, and they've accomplished through, they, they estimate here, over almost 4,000 square meters of land mines, uh, of land have been cleared of, of mines there in Laos. Um, now, their, their business, uh, w- I think there's a great story about how the inception of this got started, and we'll, I expect we'll hear that from him, probably better coming from his mouth. But two more points I want to add in here is, one, they went on Shark Tank uh, in 2016, and um, they struck a deal with two of the guys on there. And since uh, they saw like a 600% increase in, in their sales, actually to this point, I think that they sell out of all inventory. There's a waiting list to get their products, at least the sandals, right? It's, in, it's the most incredible thing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I've been wearing his shoes for a while now. And every time I go back to get the AK series, mm-hmm. I mean, they're sold out. They're just, it's amazing what they're doing, man. The quality is also, but the story. And when I wear them, every time I look down and I see, you know, on one, they've got a little Velcro patch, you know, uh, bad for, uh, for running. And then on the other <laughs> side, worse for fighting, you know, mm-hmm. like we would do our little Velcro. And in my 550, you know, or my uh, tubular nylon, uh-huh. I just, you think about how cool the story is, man. Yeah, for sure. One last point is he just uh, co-authored a book with Leo Jenkins, another yeah. guy we've uh, we have on here on the show. Love Leo, and it is I'm just reading here remarkable true story of a group of former special operations soldiers turned entrepreneurs on a mission to end the war in Afghanistan with business, not bullets. Awesome, so. I love it. All right, what do you think, gents? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, let's get him on. Uh, all right, but before we go, let's get into this. I know you're going to love this yeah. one, Wizard. All right, this is the Ranger Creed. Recognizing that I volunteered as a Ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession, I will always endeavor to uphold the prestige, honor, and high esprit de corps of the Ranger. Esprit de corps. 
Hi, Marcus. You know what I love? I love when we have someone that comes on the show who's truly made a difference in the world. We had Tim Ballard. We had Jeremy Courtney. We've had Nick McKinley in the Deliver Fund, man. We have had some incredible human beings that have decided to take their backgrounds in, in government work or the military and transition to go out and change the world, right? We always hear about people on the news. We hear them all on all the different podcasts out there talking about how the world needs to evolve. We need to do this. We need to do that. But they're not doing squat. This individual, this human being gets up every day, puts on his flip-flops, gets out there, takes the world by the short hairs, and makes a difference, bro. That fires me up. Now, when you see uh, one of our own who good at what they do in the military, and we spend that whole part of our life for one reason, going and usually to tear it down or, or take it down, and then you take all those skills when you, when you get out and you come around and you do it for good, right, to build it up, to, to push it in the opposite direction. Kind of even out the soul, if you will. Oh, I love that. Even out the soul. Bro, where'd you just pull that from, man? I saw it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> That's epic, dude. But yeah, no, uh, I've known him for a little while now, and he's a great guy. I'm excited about having him on. All right, well, let's bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Mr. Matthew Griff Griffin. Brother, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, that has got to be the best introduction I've ever gotten. Can I hire you guys as like walk-on guys? Yeah, I mean, just like sit around, just like the prep guys. Theme music. Remember, uh, theme music. Yeah. He's like walking. He's like, what is that? He's like my theme music, man. Everybody's got to have it. <laughs> no, I bring. Just, like, my... Walk around with a megaphone and a microphone, <laughs> and like wherever you go before you go into a room, enter in the room, <laughs> Stand by. I need. Where's Marcus and Rutt? Bring them out. Man, I'm going on, dude. I love it. Yes, absolutely. I do that as. Actually, that's how I make my my living, Griff. Is I introduce people. <laughs> oh, well, awesome. dude, you got to be good at it. You're awesome. amazing. Well, thanks, brother. We we can't thank you enough for coming on. And, and I told you when you came on just a little bit ago, man. I, I I am just a massive fan of what you do and where you've directed your life. And it's just such a privilege to have you. Uh, on our show to help our listeners today. So thank you, brother. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. I'm stoked to be here. I've been known Marcus for a while. I'm excited to get to know you and, and the wizard as well. And as long as we're all making fun of Marcus together, I think it'll be a great, great podcast. Oh, Dude, that's a given. Will be. For the first time, I will not be the conduit <laughs> of pain. Yeah, I'm at that point in my life now where I'm, I like hearing the originality. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and i got a good feeling griff can he's gonna be so yeah, I tell you, when, when i'm somewhere else and someone comes at me i'll throw that whatever i learned from him down first and if it trumps everybody i'm like all right see can't done, get to me done, yeah, done. Done. Yeah. I'm, that's why i'm gonna take notes for all the slams <laughs> he does to you today hmm. i love it all right all right before we get into the meat and potatoes this thing griff we have got to start with the most powerful aspect of our show. We've got to get you limbered up. We've got to get you dialed in. We've got to, we've got to pull out the, the ranger mentality at its highest. We've got to center your zen. We've got to open your third eye. And we've got to get this thing going with the mad minute. Now, these are going to be the most difficult questions you've ever had in your life. It's going to make the pressure you felt of giving your TED Talk absolutely feel like kindergarten recess all right so are you ready for the mad minute 
Man, I was born ready. Let's do this. All right, Marcus, fire away. All right, brother, if you could run off and join the circus, what would you do? Dude, I'd tame lions. I'd be the guy in there yes! snapping, snapping the whip at lions. <laughs> yes! I love it. We've had, we've had what? Out of se- that's the seventh First time. one of those. First, no, Pardeep, Pardeep wanted, to, wanted do... to be the lion. Oh, Pardeep wanted to be yeah. the lion? Now we got the lion tamer. Now we got the lion tamer. The first one. The last one was a boxer, now we're you know, both fighters in the uh, cage. Yeah, I love it, man. Well done on that one. All right, <laughs> wizard, go. All right, hypothetically, you must cross Afghanistan, and you have three options for transportation and accompaniment. Which will you choose? Option A, to rollerblade with Chuck Norris. B, a smart car with Kim Kardashian, or C, an armored personnel carrier filled with Ebola-infected individuals. <laughs> I'm going to take the smart car and Kim Kardashian. Oh, I love it! Oh, do tell why. <laughs> oh, dude, you can get anywhere in the world with, like, a funny-ass car. People are just going to be laughing at you when they when they roll up, and if they're laughing at you in a tiny little car and you get a hot girl in there, I think, I think they're going to, like, at least be open to letting you pass. Right? right? I, I think that's it. MRAP will get blown up, and then Chuck Norris on roller skates. I think everybody, if you guys like roller roller blades or roller skates, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think an Afghan <laughs> would shoot you if they saw you, you know, going down a gravel road in a set of roller blades. Even if Chuck Norris was there, he, he's not going to save you from that. No, no, that's a guaranteed execution. I think. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. And then they're going to steal your roller blades. <laughs> it totally because they ain't little scrappy sons of bitches all right and put them on the truck right <laughs> they would rig it up yeah. oh my god the jingle truck come rolling through there. <laughs> god, the jingle truck man all right all right if you could take one section of ranger school that everybody had to go through in the world what section would it be Oof. um i think everybody should go through mountain chase I think everybody should come to understand and learn the hard work that comes from walking up a big ass mountain with something heavy on your back and recognizing the pretty view on top and that you only get it for a second and then it's just more work. Oh. So I think more people, more people should uh, go through a mountain phase. Spoken like a true ranger. I remember the first, yeah, I, right. you know, going through buds, you, you, you do a little bit of Mount Laguna, nothing though. But I remember going to 18 Delta and the first time there was a guy, he was like an E7 and been in ranger bat forever. And he was like, hey, man, you want to go rocking with me? I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. It was horrible, yeah, dude. That's like a uniform of the day for the Rangers. It is. Did, did, was he in Ranger panties? <laughs> Ranger panties. <laughs> and he had his BDU top, and his rock was like 100 pounds. I was like, what? I'll never forget. Uh, we come home off off of leave, man, and we were <laughs> – it was actually after 18 Delta. One of my buddies, Ranger buddies, we were, we were running down the road, and he had his Ranger panties on. <laughs> And this truck full of teenage uh, country boys comes rolling by, whistled at us. It's like, hey, sweetie, nice pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned oh, I, around I, and looked at him. He goes, oh, we get it all the time. I was like, oh, I know now. <laughs> <laughs> I use this to threaten my daughters. Whenever, uh, whenever they're, they're embarrassing me or not, I'm, like, yeah, I'm gonna throw on the Ranger panties and walk out here with all your friends out there. They're shorts. They're That's awesome, dude. I've got four daughters. I'm doing that. Absolutely, with, I'm buying. Hey, her. with the eight point, the shades, and the core frams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all the combat boots, right? Oh, that's epic. depending on the venue. All right, Mark, it's fire away. All right, brother. If you could be in an a an animate object for a year, what would it be? Does it count like plants and everything, or does it have to be non-living, like fully non-living? Fully non-living. 
Oh, Oof. that's tough. Oh, dude, I probably want to be, uh, man, you can go two ways with this. You can go like dirty. Like you want to be like, you know, <laughs> some famous models like scale in the morning. Like, you know, get a shot of that every day. Right, so that's the first one that popped into my head too. And then I <laughs> then offset it. I went all the way over to the, you the know, other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or, or would you like want to just be a satellite, right? Just floating around in outer space, staring at the big blue dot floating through the cosmos. Yeah. Like, Whoa. I think I'd pick a satellite. That's deep. I thought about Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty. That'd be kind of cool. I think I'd pick the Winston Churchill bust in the Oval Office. Get the, get the <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. Would you be able to have like, that's, that's a good, yeah, the, that, one of the busts? Would the you be able bus? to take in like you can comprehend? Yeah, you're standing stuff? there as an animal object just watching for, <laughs> for wow. a year. I'd be the president's Ooh, pin. Like that question. That's a good one. Yeah. Ooh, the, ooh, that president's pin or the president's cell phone. I wonder yep. what that looks like. I'm going to be lost to you in the drawer, though. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, right? That'd be boring. Your back fell off. That, <laughs> <laughs> and, then I just, yeah, and then I'm in the, then I and broke then, and got thrown then away. I'm in the trash. All right, with And then somebody show. comes up and does the, uh, that's the part where you, I got something on your pin there. Huh? <laughs> There's spit. <laughs> Oh. All right, all right, all right. The give us swab or tongue swab. Give oh. us one indication that Western society may soon implode, and conversely, an encouraging sign that it will grow and prosper. Oh God, that's mm. heavy. Yeah, the, the, the whole baby it's cold outside thing right now is just killing me. And <laughs> we should actually be really concerned with people that are cold outside. <laughs> hmm. Huh. I, I really, I, I really think that like we're spending more time and effort yeah, worried about the words of a song that was written fifty or sixty years ago than taking care of people right now. Like I, that is a sure sign that Western man, civilization I don't might know be on the downturn. I agree wholeheartedly. Man, worried about it. It's cold outside. Well, what about the the people who are outside? Actually, outside, outside cold. Outside in the cold. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, that's deep. Man, I'm gonna yeah. have to come with yeah, something. Where's the other end of this? We need one uh, a positive. Oh indication. man, like I'm a. Uh, Man, anytime I turn on the TV and I hear anything that Elon Musk says, you know, anytime I see like, when I look it back, I think of like, you, you know, America being the light of the world, having like having the ability to create the visionaries that are going to create the technology that are going to save our planet. Like anytime I hear that dude open his mouth, that that hmm. that gives me belief that we might actually push forward and, and make it through our current challenges. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, I think I've watched cool. his interview with Joe Rogan like 10 times, man. And that first hour plus where he's talking about AI, literally, I, I'm I I had to go back the first time I would like listen ten minutes. I'd I'd go back, I'd listen to it again, and I'd just try and wrap my mind around the things he was saying. You know, like that AI where they they link your brain. Your brain can't be separated from the AI, so you can use the computer as like neural a separate link. processing, like you, Neur- Neuralink. Like Neuralink. Sign me up. Like, <laughs> right. Like, Let's do this. <laughs> He's talking about closing the gap in bandwidth from your thumbs to your brain. I was just like, yep, okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just trying to match my socks in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Right. Here we go. All right. Give me uh, one or two of the best products that people with limited resources can manufacture that help their their ability to sustain and live a healthy life. Um, I think we need to manufacture uh, better coal burning or wood burning stoves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the developing nation, Marcus, I'm sure you've seen this, people spend eight, 10 hours a day, you know, getting clean water and collecting firewood to just cook food. 
And so if, if we have, there's some ways that you can make these like cool little clay stoves that can do the same amount of thing to heat your home and cook your food. It's more carbon neutral. It's going to take up less time. And so if people are spending less time fetching water and getting firewood, they can spend more time in school or more time helping their community. Awesome. So I think like that's like the one thing I know that people can manufacture. And the other is just clean water filters. And making clean water isn't actually that hard. It's a matter of like getting tiny rocks to big rocks and getting a barrel, right, and figuring out how to do it right and having a natural water filter. And I think if people had clean water and, you know, clean burning cooking stoves, I think those things would, would really help the planet. Yeah, significant. especially out there in the relative areas, because if, if all the, the not amenities, but necessities of life are in opposite directions and in the morning they got to go out, collect them and then come back just for that, then you lose the whole value of the of the family it needs to be right there. That's how cities expand. If you have all of the elements right there in front of you, then you can do other things because you don't have to spend the time going and. And the, the technology we have in the military, just to stay under the radar, to cook something, to heat our water, to clean our water. And, to recharge our radiators. Yeah, right, right. yeah. It's there. Yeah. It's, it's there, man. It just needs to be uh, given just out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just like you just said. Distributed and given out. Yeah, yeah that's it. All right, Marcus. All right. If coffee was an illegal drug, what would its street name be? <laughs> Genius question, bro. That, that is a good one. And I love coffee, so just give me one. Oh, give me yeah. one second here. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we can rotate around and come back. Yeah. That's, that's, no, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. All right, what it. is it? Jitter, jitter juice. Jitter juice. I love jitter it. Juice. I love it. Jitter juice. Hey, man, you got any jitter Crack on it? Crack at dawn. Crack at dawn? That's a little intense, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's hardcore right. coffee. No, that's, right. that's like that hardcore coffee yeah, drinker. That's like, the, that's like the glass, <laughs> right? What? All right, when... Not if, but when the zombie apocalypse hits, what are your top three most indispensable pieces of kit? Great question. I love this one. Um, you can select from anything. Ruger. Yeah, my Ruger 1022, like super high volume gun that you can carry and whack things in the in, accurately at distance. Um, I'd have to say like my uh, my ghillie suit. Nice. Um, yeah, I've got I've got like a, a lightweight, like super pullover ghillie suit so you can hide yourself, right? And let everybody else be bait as they run out or nice. you know, get <laughs> yourself into a corner. <laughs> or um man, you're gonna need a pack of smokes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Non-filtered lucky strikes, baby. Yeah. I love yeah, it. You're gonna you're gonna need a pack of smokes. Or yeah. those Afghan ones, man. Those oh, oh the, the, the pines. Yep. Oh my <laughs> God. The pine lights. Oh God. Those almost killed me. Those almost killed me. All right. Last question, Mark, is fire away. All right, brother. Who's your favorite superhero? I'm going to say Deadpool. Nice. Like, yeah. Like just keeps taking a beating and over and over and over again, comes back with a sense of humor. I, I, I really like Deadpool. We right. love you, and Ryan. Ryan Reynolds being the greatest actor. The greatest in our actor ever who's ever lived. <laughs> never Who, been a better actor. Than never been, been a better screen. actor. Ryan, you can come on anytime yeah. you want. We want you on the show. And if you need a cameo <laughs> in any of the movies, we'll happily be there. For- we we had a, a team guy, Remy Adeleke, who on the show who's actually he was out. He was in Italy filming a movie with Ryan Reynolds, and and we flat out were like, "Hey, dude." Can can you just go ask him right now? It's <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've ever done that. Like, hey, seriously, stop what you're doing. We'll hold and just walk. <laughs> oh, wait. oh my wait. god! Cool. Awesome answer. All right, all right. That's the end of our mad. I got like 15 minutes or so. 
But thank you so much, Griff. We really appreciate your your yeah, your so. amazing answers. But the the reason why people come to our, our our show is is to to tap into some of the great life experiences of our guests to really um, strive to find the pearls of wisdom that can help just inch them forward in this you know this collective pain that we are all going through right the combat of life so to speak so without further ado would you please share your greatest never quit story or stories with our listeners right on see it's funny you guys sent the the prep questions for this and i had to go think about like the the really the the lesson or the place where i learned to not quit and uh oddly enough it wasn't the military it was i was i was in iowa as a freshman in high school Awesome. Uh, my dad had just retired from the military and he retired to Iowa. So I didn't have any friends. I missed the whole thing. Like if you wanted to get a girlfriend, you had to be on the football team. I totally missed that whole thing. Like <laughs> my freshman year. Yeah, me too. It's yeah. So uh, I was like, Oh, you know, they wrestle here in Iowa. I'll, I'll go out for the wrestling team. That'd be good. So I've never wrestled a day in my life and kids come out of the womb. there throwing headlocks. Literally. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I, I so stepped true. onto the wrestling mat in ninth grade, and dude, I just got my ass beat for a solid season. Like losing record, destroyed every practice, like over and over again. It was just a, just a straight up beating. But yeah, I loved it. I thought it was cool. Like I was always like improving my skills, and but I was still like super losing all the time. That was like fun. And uh, and somebody made the mistake of telling my dad, "Well, hey, if you want your son to be a good wrestler, you should sign him up for Dan Gable's intensive training camp." And oh! I don't, it's a two week, just absolute suffer fest where all the best wrestlers in the world come in from all over and they separate you out by weight class and they put you with the wrestler who wrestles for Iowa at that weight class. So my head coach was Tom Brands. He won the gold medal yep. in the 94 Olympics. And I stepped in there like as a single year wrestler wrestling state champs from you know all over America, people from all over the world. And I straight up got hammered on. For two weeks straight after just the most <laughs> intensive cardio sessions you'd ever imagine. And like that's where I learned to work out and puke at the same time. Yes. And know that it was okay. And what I the lesson that I learned at 14 years old was that the limitations that you have when you think you're done, you're only really about 10% of the way done. Yes. Your mind will give up way before your body ever will. Um, and if you want to learn your limitations, you have to hang out around people who push themselves that hard as well. So I never would have been able to push myself that hard or even known I could go that far if there hadn't been people surrounding me that have either done it before or continue to push themselves. And so as, as one man, you know, uh, steel sharpens steel, one man sharpens another. Yep. And I have to say like that, that two weeks of my life changed the direction and what I thought, you know, pain and sacrifice and hard work and achievement look like. And I came out of there, you know, challenging for the varsity squad on a, on a high school team in, in, in Iowa, right, which is wow. a big thing to do. And, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was just amazing. It changed the way I trained, changed the way I looked at physical activities, like helped me out through all my other sports and throughout the military. And I'd have to say like that two weeks, I wanted to quit, you know, every 10 minutes, just getting done. Every time somebody would wrench my head off or pin me to the mat or throw me to my back, or I'd just vomit from puking or couldn't walk. I wanted to quit, but I just stuck with it. I hung it out. It's only, it's only two weeks. You can yeah, right? stay on your head for two weeks, right? Like, it's okay. Like they're not going to kill me. I hope. Yeah. Right. And just, just right. learn, well, learn how to check that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, just with, yeah, you don't really appreciate how hard that workout, the, the rest the, the wrestling is one thing, man. The workout is, is the toughest part about being a wrestler. I think hands man, down, hands down. And, you, and uh, uh, 
I, I like to say a similar phrase too. You know, everybody in our life is a stone. They're either going to sharpen you, they're going to dull you out, and the, our ladies, you know, they polish us. And it, you're, you're right, man. Your, your mind does quit before your body because your body. Think of it like a car. I mean, behind the wheel, that thing will go anywhere and everywhere you push. You know, you turn the wheel and you mash the accelerator, and you're the one who usually backs off on your car because you don't want it to get dented or something broken on it. But when, when you realize it, man, that it can still run with, after it's had something busted or it's got some dings and some dents in it, you know, that, that's character. That's what happens. And uh, a lot of people won't push themselves to that puking point. That's like your body and your, whole, and your mind transitioning it past a level. Right? Especially you know, as a kid. A kid, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's, man, it's, it's hardcore, boy. And, uh, I, I think they call it leveling up these days. Yeah, level, yeah. level up. Level yeah. up, yeah. Yep. <laughs> right, yeah, you're, you're passing. But it literally wants to do whatever... The, uh, the mind can will it to do. And anything you, 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 you don't think you're proficient at, just all it takes is just practice. Like rolling the, the coin. You see people roll a coin on their fingers. Tough when you first start doing it. But after your mind and body get together and figure that out, that's the same thing with anything. You can get proficient in anything if you, if you do it long enough and put enough time into it. And then what happens when you stop doing that, it just gets shifted to the back and the stuff that you're interested in is, is in the front. You can pull it back up. You're just kind of out of practice, man. Right, so, and just reapply it in a different context. Yeah, that, yeah. W- what you guys have to go through in that is, man, unbelievable. I got a question for you, Griff. Said I, it. So, you know, you, you talk about it in terms of, of uh, you, you wanted to do it for girls, but I, I know there was another influence. Did was, there, was it ingrained in your family culture that w- if you guys start something, you don't, you don't, you don't quit? W- there was, was there a deeper level of that? Because... I mean, to jump into it and then stay in it for a whole season was, you know, was there ever a thought that, oh, this sucks, I'm just going to quit and go do something else? Or what was the, the background push for you? And then to want to go to the camp. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Special Operations is, you know, Uncle Uncle Sam's home for wayward children. Yeah, right. right? So, so, yeah, I mean... I, like, there's a lot of guys who are listening to this or in, in this podcast, you know, like, you know, it, there's a very similarity profile to a lot of guys in special operations, you know, broken homes, divorced families. It's very rare that you actually find a guy that's a high performance dude in the special operations that didn't have kind of like a messed up childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, just, I didn't have like a super bad childhood, but you know, divorced parents are always seeking affirmation and like, you never quit on anything just cause you wanted like your parents yeah. like, to approve of what's, what's going on. And, uh, you know, just whatever that was in sports, like growing up or lacrosse or whatever, you're always trying to like push yourself and, you know, don't look bad in front of your parents, either one. And, uh, you know, it just kind of like snowballed all the way up through life. Right. And just, I, I think like shame for a lot of us is, yeah. is the worst thing ever. Absolutely. Uh, and so just staying away from being shamed is like, no, I'm never going to go home ever to, to say to somebody I quit. Like you guys, like, I think the coolest thing in special operations is the is was the line at Buds where guys have to put their helmets up when they quit yeah. and just leave them up there? Like you'd have to kill me to get me to put my helmet up on that thing. Exactly. Like, you got you got to be you got to be dead. Like it ain't gonna happen. Um, and I don't like we just always had that mentality in our family. We've always surrounded ourselves by people who push themselves like that. And so I just think it came naturally and and probably primarily mainly not wanting to, <laughs> to tell my dad I quit on anything. Right. Now, a big transition, obviously, is it, it seems like a natural pathway for you to kind of go into to West Point to graduate from there. But what was it about the Rangers that drew you in? What, why, why the Rangers? What was did you 
you know, was it a movie you saw, a book you read? Was there an uncle? What was it that pulled you into the Rangers? You guys really want to know? Yeah. 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 So uh, this is pre-GWAP, pre-2001. Back in the 1900s. Back in the 1900s. It literally was back in the 1900s. Um, it, was, uh, it was December 1997, and it's the week before the Army-Navy game. And, you know, they do all these demonstrations on post, and it's the Thursday night, and the game's on Saturday. And, you know, the, the, the dirty, stinky midshipmen had stolen the Army mule. Right. And the, uh, and they had him in the center of a field and like this little chain link fence as a hostage and around the whole field was the Corps of Cadets and the Army Rangers were going to do a hostage rescue. <laughs> and this, this, I mean, like, this is the first thing like you'd ever heard. And all of a sudden, like all of the lights go black, all of posts, they drop the power for the entire installation. <laughs> so it goes from light to just pitch black. And out of nowhere, like you didn't even hear the bird coming up. They used terrain to mask their sound. And all of a sudden, like you could see the light from the miniguns before you could hear the sound of the bird. And this bird came to a hover at about 50 feet, tossed out the fast ropes out of the back. And then it was like a line of hate and discontent, you know, <laughs> sliding down that line and guys just getting up and just like, just having at it. Meanwhile, miniguns are blazing, blast is falling from the sky. And then out of nowhere, these two RSOVs, which like the old army. Yeah. Uh, Range Rovers that look like porcupines because they had so many machine guns on them. <laughs> and these guys come like raging out of the woods and they hit the curb and they jump like the front of the RSOP <laughs> comes up and it's got, you know, eight Rangers on it. And they're all firing machine guns at the same time. It looks like a, you know, a dragon like, awesome. coming out of the woods. <laughs> and uh, the guy running shotgun uh, on the, on the lead vehicle, he was on a 240 and he was hanging out the side on the, on the pinnel mount and he starts falling out of the vehicle and he has enough trigger control to, um, let sorry somebody chimed in here he has enough trigger control to to let go of the trigger before the weapon gets unsafe tosses himself from the vehicle rolls sideways without even skipping a beat stands up on his feet running the ejective grabs his m4 and starts shooting at a full run <laughs> and just like watching all of this going down and it, it all happened within 12 seconds oh my god makes me and like join the Rangers. <laughs> going god, back in these are, yeah, these are my people. Like, I just want to go hang out with these guys. And like, literally, that was it. Like, I was sold ever since I saw that. It's like I just want to go hang out with guys like that. That's like, awesome, man. Yeah, that's that was it. That's super cool. All right, so so you go in and the GWAT kicks off. You have a, a, um, a challenge in career, to say the least, from what we've all went over, we've all seen. And and I I was listening to another podcast you were on. And you talked about hitting that point. Your wife was in the military as well, that it was time to get out. What was the catalyst for that? And, and what was the decision to break contact with this? It seems like you were ha having a good career. You were multiple deployments. You were, you know, you were, you, you were advancing. What happened that made you want to get out? Um, I'll, I love my job. I, was, I still think I had one of the best jobs in the military as a Ranger company fire support officer, getting to swing all the big boy toys from the 60 millimeter mortars to, to B1 bombers. It was spectacular having the whole like national arsenal at your disposal. It was, it was a pretty fun job. Um, and in spite of all of that, like it was, it was my fourth deployment and you know, we were just rolling through Northern Iraq and it was just objective after objective after objective. And we're just yanking all of these teenage kids. That's all they are was like, you know, 15 to 19 year old boys um, with no education, can't read 
And they're, you know, when you listen to them and you interrogate them, they're just getting funneled full of, they're just getting filled full of hate, like things that just aren't true. And it, it's impossible for us to fight that with, uh, you know, with a bomb or a bullet. Like we, we have to catch them before that. Yeah. Otherwise they're just going to keep feeding the machine. And uh, I was in a, I was on the side of a little bird helicopter on squirter patrol. And I was watching uh, the Rangers, you know, come up to an objective and immediately the, the guys inside the house start engaging and they start throwing hand grenades across the courtyard. And so I'm watching this hand grenade fight go down on the ground below me. And then the guys, you know, the combatants like bailed through the back of the house and out the back and over the wall before containment can get around. And we hear the call on the radio. Hey, squirter control, go get the squirters. And this is like, you know, one in the morning, downtown Mosul, middle of the night, dusty as hell. And uh, bird one goes in to like fly into the street and the thing completely browns out. Like we couldn't see it on the ground. I'm like, holy crap. Like this bird just burned in with four rangers on it. And um, out of the dust, the co-pilot has got his head looking out sideways. I mean, those, those TF pilots are so badass. Unbelievable. Best they're, in they're the world. Un- they're, <laughs> they're fucking unreal. And like, the guy is six feet off the ground. He's got his head out the back and he's backing the helicopter out of the dust cloud, sets it down. Rangers pop off. Right. And then up and out. And they're like, holy crap, you know, we're going in right behind them. And same thing. Like we just, we pulled in right into the parking spot, backed up down the road, got off and, you know, caught some teenagers in an apartment complex in the middle of the night in downtown Mosul. And like that was, that was one of the, the, the puckery moments of life. And, yeah. uh, you know, when we caught him, he's just 16, 17 year old kids with some, some pistols and hand grenades. And that's, that's all they were. They got funneled over the border from Tunisia and Syria and all these other places just to, to, to get a chance to take a you know, shot at an American soldier or service member. And, you know, we got to catch it ahead of that. And like, that was the realization in the moments of like, when we had to start figuring these things out a little bit, a little bit differently. I, you know, it's funny that you, you talk about it in terms of the spectrum of youth, right. And it's innocence. For me, it was a very similar thing, too. I had gotten out. I was working for Blackwater. Uh, we're do, I was training counter-drug commandos, you know, we and, and we had these. They were kids. We we're training these kids that they had pulled off the streets, basically, because their uncle was a cop or whatever, and it was a paycheck. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, what the hell is going to happen and to these kids are just getting right back into this ideology. And I remember at the time there was a, a documentary that came out called Children of the Taliban. And this brilliant woman, this Pakistani journalist, got access to the madrasas in, in western Pakistan. And it describes how they would recruit, pull them in, indoctrinate them. And by 13 through 15, you know, Mullah Omar was producing seven to 10,000 suicide bombers a year. And I thought to myself, that's where kind of my shift happened as well, too. We're not going to you can fire all the bullets and drop all the bonds on these people. But unless we figure out how to attack that, we're, we're going to lose day in and day out. What did that catalyst make you decide and do? I mean, obviously, it's been a long time since 06 to where you're at now and your vision has evolved. But what was the the main framework of the pathway that you were about to set forth on? Um, and did, to be honest, man, it was a really simple decision. Is I just wanted to be with my family. You know, I'd spent so much time gone, and after this moment, I thought to myself, you know, it could be any one of these moments where I could step off a bird the wrong direction, you know, catch a round of the face and just be done and never get to experience my family. And uh, and when I got back from that deployment, you know, we had to ask ourselves is is the way we're fighting worth not ever coming home to our family? 
And I, I, we had to be really candid. My wife and I, like we felt like, you know, between the two of us, she was an intelligence officer. Or I was an artillery officer. Or I would have had to have either stayed in the artillery, which I didn't want to do because I could never really go back and get the job that I had, go to special forces or branch transfer infantry. And all of those courses of action would have taken me away from my family even more. So we just decided, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get out and we're going to give back in other ways. And, and, uh, to be honest, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Like I, I all I knew is I just wanted to spend time with my family. And I, awesome. I did what most service guys do is I just, I took the first job offered to me and I built houses, um, until the market crashed in 2008. So for between 2006 and 2008, I, spent time with my family and I built homes, built my own home. And that's all that I knew that I wanted to do. And like, for a lot of guys who are getting out, if you're listening to this, that's a perfectly acceptable answer is spending time with your family. Yeah. So yeah, from there it got a little crazy. Yeah. No, I, and, and I'm, I, you know, and, and it's really incredible because can you describe the spark, right? That shift where you're like, okay, there's an opportunity and, and maybe talk about how that happened with the contracting and then led, led you back to Afghanistan. Cause I love that story right there, that aha moment of the factory and that guy you met, please. Can you share that? Yeah. So, uh, I think a lot of us, um, you would get out and we have these ideas of what life looks like outside of the military, how successful you're going to be, what you're going to do, all of these life changes. Um, you know, the market crash came in 2008. I was an up and coming home builder. All of a sudden had no job. Like, what are you going to do? Ouch. Yeah. Like it's, you know, you got a family to support. You got no job. And, uh, luckily like the network is your net worth. We went to a high school reunion with my wife. Uh, her friend was a CEO of a medical sales company who was delivering doctors and clinics and medical supplies to distant and far off places. And they needed somebody to handle the military business somebody who could actually speak army or Navy or Marines or whatever. And so they hired me and I had no medical training whatsoever. So I had to do the crack portion, you know, in, in austere medical care and learn what all of these like different you know types of medical equipment and usages are. You can learn anything. I mean, the military teaches you that is like, you can reinvent you can yourself anything. over and over. Yeah. Over and over again, every two years. And so I, uh, I dove into that and, uh, eventually, you know, this is 2008. So when Obama was expanding the contracting boom in Iraq and Afghanistan and contractors needed medical supplies and goods. And so calls were coming into the office and, and one day a call came in they go, yeah, we've got this opportunity to put a clinic or two in Afghanistan. Who's going to go and do the survey? And I'm 28 years old. I'm the second oldest guy in the company. I'm the same age as the CEO. And I'm sitting in this hipster you know, conference room in <laughs> Seattle and all these people in tight jeans, good looking beards start turning and looking at me like, yeah, we know who's going to Afghanistan. <laughs> and, uh, oh, 400, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. Oh, 400. Yeah. So the, uh, the, you know, the cool part about it was I, I started going and when, when I got off the planes, like it was just me, dude, I was in a t-shirt and jeans or a sport coat, t-shirt and jeans and a briefcase with cash. And I didn't have a gun or anything else like that. And it had to be nice to people to get around to get my job. And I saw a different side of Afghanistan. Yeah. I saw a different side of these conflict areas that we've been fighting in. And I really learned, you know, that there are more people that are like us in these communities than there are not like us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, in our time in special operations, we spend all of our time catching shitheads. That's, that's all that we ever see of a culture is the worst of it, because that's our job to go is to go out and to police them. And when I went there as a civilian, I got to see the other side of it. 
And it provided me a significant amount of hope that we could actually turn this thing around if we empowered our communities in this way, not just from a military standpoint, but from community to community. And most communities typically do that through business. So they say uh, borders frequented by merchants seldom need soldiers. Yeah, awesome. And it and if we can do that, I mean, the GDP of Afghanistan was like $6 billion at the time. Yeah. Like Starbucks in my county makes $19 billion a year. <laughs> we have a coffee company. <laughs> that makes more than the GDP of, of a nation fighting it. Yeah, of yeah. every country, right? Mm-hmm. So like, we have the ability to make significant change if we direct our ways, right? And uh, long story short, I ended up in a combat boot factory in Kabul, Afghanistan. And I I saw a product that had been created to, um, to outfit Afghan soldiers in garrison. So a lot of people don't think about this, but we trained a 300,000-person police force and military. We yep. spent a significant amount of time and money as a nation growing this army for Afghanistan. And uh, they were losing tens of thousands of man hours a day to shoelaces. So just, I mean, if if anybody on this podcast wants to laugh out loud for a little bit, just Google Afghan jumping jacks. Oh, the greatest greatest video. Greatest movie ever, right? Ever, ever. Right. And so what people don't understand is in Afghanistan, like they don't wear shoes with laces ever. Culturally, it's not relevant. And I don't care who you are, but if you take off your combat boots on and off five times a day, it's a total pain in the ass. Like it's not fun. <laughs> you just want to throw them on in the morning and take them off when you're done, just cause it's so cumbersome, but they're mm-hmm. Islamic. So they have to pray five times a day. And so here they are, you know, trying to get this army in and out of prayer five times a day, trying to get guys in and out of combat boots and they don't know how to tie shoelaces. Right. <laughs> and if, 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 if you think that like, this is not an issue, it go is. and Google Afghan jumping jacks after you're done listening to this podcast, yeah. because you'll like, then after you watch them do jumping jacks, you say to yourself, shoelaces, like they, they were just they were trying to figure it out. So they created this, uh, this combat boot looking flip flop. So that way they could wear them in garrison to, to get those training hours back in the day. It never, the idea never took off, but it did birth combat flip flops. So that was yes. the, uh, the birth of the, and, and just so you know, in in your honor, I've got my pair on right now. Uh, my favorite thing is, uh, uh, <laughs> Bad for running, worse for fighting. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's so oh, true. Man. Man. I did that one time. I took off running a pair of flip-flops trying to chase my brother or something. Oh, horrible. Marcus, don't lie. You don't run. <laughs> I think that's why this didn't turn out very well. <laughs> when I woke up, I woke up in the bushes because someone was pulling my foot with my flip flop, was hanging out on the, on the sidewalk, and they were kind of making sure. <laughs> I was like, I'm here. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. yeah, you're right, bro. I don't run at all. Yeah, then we're, we're just going to do a whole marketing campaign around Marcus just wearing flip-flops. Yeah, exactly. When I got to epic. fire, that's uniform of the day, right? The oh, flip-flops, my man. God. Flip-flops and I'm in so happy about shorts. that. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing for a team, guys, is it's wearing flip-flops. But yeah. I got in one fight with oh, flip-flops. Yeah. That was when I stopped wearing Yeah, you got to kick them off. Well, you kick them off. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. true. They're... They're, they only there's limitations to their functionality. Yeah. Hey brother, but, yeah, when, were, when I was shod for the throwdown, listen to you describe. Oh man, the best way I try to describe our our community is a fraternity, a college fraternity that gets to play with military hardware. I mean, that's yeah. you know, it's yeah. all walks of life, and for whatever reason, we kind of gravitate. To, we always find each other it, throughout time. Doesn't matter what kind of name you put on it, we're going to roll in and and and. When we pick on each other, that develops that rapport and that love. We were in Ramadi, man. We had a. You guys were sitting. Y'all's camp was right beside ours. We had to drive through y'all's camp to get out. 
And man, we we wouldn't go anywhere without letting you guys know about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yo, just in case yeah. you guys aren't doing anything tonight. But yeah, it's, it's it's so funny. I love just the different personalities, like Marines, the beach gangsters. Yeah, you know, Air Force, you know, plain gangsters, especially the gunship guys, the A tens, yeah. oh, you know, the AC one thirties. Like, I love those dudes. Um, and then when people ask, oh, what's the difference between Rangers and SEALs? I go, okay, SEALs are like a, a roll of surgeons' tools, <laughs> right? They're just they're, they're built for a specific purpose. They're lightweight. They do have a highly functional job. And they go, well, what are Rangers? They're like, well, Rangers are like a dump truck full of sledgehammers. <laughs> like, that's the difference. Like, <laughs> two totally different organizations, awesome. right? And it's just different personalities. Like, yeah, they just, they, to each their own. I, I, we had we had Evan from Black Rifle Coffee on a while back, and, and he talked about the big transition point of his life and recognizing contracting was done. He didn't want to do it. He had, he had this passion within, within uh, coffee and he went and he, he just got rid of everything that wasn't essential in his life and invested it all into building black rifle coffee. You had a similar experience, but I think it was, What's what's even more amazing for me, me is the never quit moment within yours. You all the failures one right after the other with the 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 um the factory shutting down, building a factory in your garage. Can you take our listeners through that whole experience and and explain it what you were going through? Yeah, and even back yeah, it so, up to that inception point where you started talking about the boot factory, but can you start from there and you actually saw this idea sort of in a practical reality prior to launching into it? So I'm going to tell everybody to read the book because it's got a lot more flavorful uh, context and color on this with a lot more F-bombs dropped throughout because this was a pretty <laughs> hairy story in a couple of years in our lives. Uh, but essentially, uh, I was there selling medical equipment to the Afghan military. Uh, a former Marine had been hired by an Afghan family to build a boot factory in Kabul to support the Afghan National Army. He invited me over for a cup of coffee, went to the factory, bam, combat flip-flops was born, right? I had this idea, we're going to make flip-flops in a combat boot factory. And due to the power of social media, we kept throwing that idea out there in some drawings and a bunch of crazy idiots, you know, the, the veterans who knew that this was, hey, this is kind of like a crazy, dumb, good idea. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can make this work. And they pre-sold like thousands of pairs, like right. thousands of military service members bought. They're like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. We're going to buy. And they gave us 70 bucks and waited. Like, yeah, like we know this is a pre-order. You'll get it done. And um, we, we launched in January 2012, supposed to deliver in June 2012, which turned into July, which turned into August. And then my brother and I uh grabbed a bunch of duffel bags and we flew to Kabul to go get our footwear because we just needed to go get them ourselves. So we land there. Um, we pick up the footwear. There's some challenges, which you can read about in the book, which then starts to a fact that we have to restart our entire run all over again. Oh, and so, so then I've, you know, I've, we've got no money, no nothing. And so I max out every one of my credit cards, sell a couple more guns, and then we buy the materials to start our second run. We find another factory to work with us. And then in the middle of like having the materials made, that factory goes under. And so now we have a container full of materials and all of our, all of our stuff's gone. Like all the money's gone. And, you know, what do we do? And we'd seen them made. And so we actually had them shipped to my house in Issaquah, <laughs> Washington. And we built a gorilla flip-flop factory in my garage. And my brother and Andy and a whole bunch of friends and family, you know, came over for months on end. And we manufactured our first 4,000 pair of flip-flops on our own. And it was like that do or die moment. Like we were, 
multiple five figures in debt if we hadn't delivered we'd have had you know to disappoint tons of customers everything else versus now man let's just buckle down and put in the hard work let's get creative and do it Mm -hmm. and while that container bobbed across the ocean like we sold everything of value gutted my garage you know rated manufacturing facilities for vacuum presses and ovens and you know old conference room tables which we sawed in half to make our layout tables for our footwear and we developed a process to make flip-flops in 600 square feet off household power. Awesome. And, <laughs> yeah, and, de- and delivered to our customers. And then like people were just, I think they, they, they quit being angry about the, uh, the late delivery of flip-flops and started making popcorn. And they're just like, what are these guys going to do yeah. next? And like our, our emails were like a little novella to our customers. Like, okay, here's an update. Here's what happened this week. It kind of sucks. Here's our plan <laughs> of action. Like stick with us. And you know, to be honest, our customers were amazing. Like, yeah, in that first four thousand pair, I think we only had three people want their money back. Wow! It just it just goes to show you like the the size of the heart of the people mm-hmm. that are in this community who are willing to get behind a good mission if they believe in the people that are doing it. And there are plenty of times that we wanted to quit over and over and over again, and our community stepped up and they gave us the words that we needed to keep going, and uh, it, it was really meaningful. So if if you guys are part of the first run, first mission, if you got one of the first four thousand pairs, you guys know who you are. Thank you very much for keeping us going. That was cool. awesome, man. Yeah, you tell the three people who wanted their money back, they didn't watch the uh, the jumping jack video. <laughs> they didn't watch the jumping jack video. Not at all. <laughs> In fact, they don't know squat about rangers. You no, know? Man. No, you've heard that a couple of times. When guys, it's when we come back together, you get around the boys, man, and everything that we've been through over in the, in the sandbox and everywhere in the training is nothing – I mean, if we can go through that, we can go through this, and we're doing it together, which makes it fun, right? Because when the that's when the when the chaos and the hard stuff hits, that's when all that stuff starts flying out, and you remember, well, it kind of gets to drag you back to the team room, man. Yeah, and I think the, the the funny thing is about it too now is like we can rely on those lessons from the military and services. Like when you know you got a mission coming up, you know you got a big release or a big campaign, like. You know how to plan your team out. You know how to start eating better. You know how to start getting your rest. You know how to do all of these other things because you did it for missions before. But now you do it in a civilian setting. And uh, those, those lessons that we learned there were like really prepare your mind and your body and your team um, in order to tackle those challenges in, a, in a, I think, a much smoother way than um, some of our non-military counterparts are able to tackle these challenges. Do you feel like if you hadn't gone through those initial difficulties that the company would have uh, continued on to the, the success that it, it is today? No, I think uh, why, why it is what we, it's what you needed. God gives you in life what you, uh, what you need, yeah, not what you want. Amen. And, uh, you know, had we have gone through and grown big under the systems that we had at the time, it would have been hugely inefficient and we would have wasted a lot and we wouldn't have helped as many people. And I think because of the struggles and the pains that we've, we've faced over the years, it's, it's forced us to get lean, mean, and light. Uh, and really effective and really measure what we're doing well uh, to make sure we're fulfilling everything that we need to to our customers, to our philanthropic partners, to our manufacturers. And and we've suffered a lot, um, but I think it, it in the end, it made us better. One of the things that I love about what y'all do is, yes, I love hearing your never quit story it, and it's profound and all the the stuff that's out there and available for people to consume, I highly recommend it to learn more about you, Griff, and the people you're working with. But you have a, another perspective. There's another equally as important mission, and that's to provide uh, sustenance for the people working for you, to give them 
an out to to create something that uh you know instead of bullets business how you talk about that can you talk about the people that are working with you in that space talk about their never quit stories what they're facing and in all the different places you've been able to to witness so the, the the prime example I can think of is uh, is she's the owner of one of our factories in Afghanistan, as well as the executive director of the educational nonprofit we support, Aid Afghanistan for Education. Mm-hmm. Her name is Sassina Sherjan. So I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version here, but this woman's a total badass, a lioness of the epic degree. So she, Afghan-born, flees with her family during the Russian invasion in the 80s, grows up in America father passes away, feels compelled to go back to Afghanistan in the mid-90s to help her country, flies back and sees that women are being oppressed by the Taliban. They can't go to school. Um, and she thinks it's wrong because she grew up going to school. There was a kid in the 70s and was you know, curious of what happened. So she starts digging in and finding more about the Taliban and their oppression of women. And so she engages with the Taliban to see what she can do to educate women. And they tell her no. So she gives them the big fat middle finger and she goes to Pakistan in the Afghani refugee camps, and she starts educating women in refugee camps in Pakistan. Wow. Post-2001, she now returns back to Afghanistan. And she runs 13 schools, educates 3,000 kids a year across northern Afghanistan, and then provides jobs to these women who can't normally get jobs in her factories. So they serve as you know, either technicians or managers or administrators, but you know, showing what you can do all the way from education all the way to employment. Uh, to support women. And here's a, you know, here's an Afghan woman who nobody knows or anything. And she traveled halfway around the world in the middle of a war zone, engaged with the nastiest people on earth, started a huge philanthropic program and has done it over the course of decades. Like that woman has never quit through and through. Like she inspires me. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think a figure just to toss on top of that. So people gives people an understanding is that uh, due to the Taliban's, oppressive regime rule uh, over that period of time, it produced a country with a female literacy rate of only 15%. And I, I don't think Americans like get the geography. Like Guys who've been there understand that geography and terrain drives the fight in Afghanistan. It, it totally does. Like yep. the, the, the terrain there drives everything. And you know that 15% is an aggregate of the entire country. Well, the majority of that is you know, the, the higher population centers are sub-50%, maybe in the 40s and yep. Kabul, Herat, Mazari, Sharif, but all those rural regions, the literacy rate for women is like sub 2%. Yep. And, and these are all the areas where we're fighting. And so if you really think about that, like the areas where we're taking the majority of our losses, we're fighting with the most of our soldiers and our troops and resources are in the areas with the, like the highest rate of women's illiteracy. Uh, and, and can you talk, say how that translates into the effect? You've, t- you've talked about this before, how the mother's lack of education translates into the raising of her you know, male children. Yeah, if, if, I mean, if a mom doesn't know how to read or write or to judge the words that are coming at her out of her own religious books or, you know, even ability to get a job or, or provide for themselves, you know, a lot of women are married at 12 to 13 years old in Afghanistan. So super young. Most Americans don't get it, but culturally they get married off young um, and they get married to a guy who's, you know, 10, 15 years older than them and just how it works. So you can, you can look down on them all you want, but that's just the reality of our situation. What happens is, is like, the life expectancy in Afghanistan isn't very long. Um, there's a lot of war and conflict, disease. And so these men, you know, typically die in their you know, late 30s, early 40s. And they have a young wife with no education, now has three or four kids, who has to provide for her family. You know, what does she do? She can't go to work. So the kids go out on the street. 
to beg for money and go to work. And if they're not on the street, they're in, you know, they're not in school. If they're on the street, they're not in school and they're cold, tired and hungry, just trying to support their family. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Taliban comes along and says, hey, man, you want a jacket? You want a bite to eat? You want an education? Come, come hang out with me. And so that's how those radicals are born. We discussed this earlier on, like yeah. that's seven to 10,000 suicide bombers that are pulling out, come out of poverty because yep. women can't provide for themselves. And so if we want to like just absolutely destroy the recruitment radical base and piss off the Taliban, we'll just educate all the women. Like an educated mom is not going to let her son turn themselves into a suicide bomber. Right. Just not going to happen. It goes just against the maternal happen. instinct, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think, you know, her story is, is profound and, and man, I, I'd love to have her on the show if that would be possible. Um, totally possible. She was actually just texting me while you guys were on the line here. Yeah, so. no, I, I think that would be profound for our listeners to show that, you know, oh, yeah. the struggle you know, for to fight oppression is not just, you know, in Afghanistan. It's everywhere. It really is. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other organizations that you're working with, MAG, and then the station as well, and, and why you've chosen them to, to support and assist? So, uh, so I'll talk about MAG. Um, it's an odd way that we got, you know, linked in with them, but I was a fire supporter. I dropped a lot of bombs out of airplanes. Um, anything that's made by the U.S. government by the lowest bidder that falls out of a fighter plane at 400 miles an hour from miles above the earth and impacts the ground. Sometimes, like, they kind of don't work. Um, and so we live a lot of exploded ordnance everywhere. And it's really dangerous for people after warfare, and it should really be cleaned up. Um, we, we found a woman who was making a cool, you know, jewelry piece out of unexploded ordnance or landmines that was helping clear uh, landmine clearance. And if a lot of people, again, if you haven't been there, you'll understand there's ethical landmine clearance, which is done by professional groups. They do it with, you know, the proper equipment or there's the guy with a stack of rocks and a shovel, you know, whacking on a landmine because he needs to clear farm fields. A crazy like, Rhodesian that I had yeah, to work crazy. with. Oh, my God. Nuts. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Out there, man. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so obviously for us as a company, if we want to sell these products, we have to do it ethically. Um, and so we partnered with uh, MAG, and so they receive our donations. They're a Nobel Prize winning demining group. They were Princess Diana's, you know, demining group, wow. and they do a great job of, 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 you know, effectively going and pushing for landmine uh, removal globally. So we support them. Uh, the the station. station Foundation, yeah, it's actually a great. Yeah, have you been there? Not yet. I was. I'm trying. A buddy of mine, uh, Bruce Cottingham. Uh, drank himself to death a few years ago and left a young daughter. And so I think this summer she might be ready to go to it. So, yeah, I, these you, guys, you're are gonna, from, you're, I'm going to try. You're going to do the crossing with her? I'm going to try, yeah. That is a worthwhile event. So, like, uh, listeners will probably tear up when I tell you this, but the Station Foundation is probably, it was started by a former task force, 160th pilot. His name's Kevin Stacy and his wife, Shannon Stacy. They're just beautiful Americans. Um, like most of us, they were having troubles just from constant deployments, marriage issues and everything else. And, you know, Kevin was out on an elk hunt. His buddy leaves him on the side of the mountain to go track an elk. And he just got to sit there in the woods for eight hours. And it was the best eight hours of his life, the way he describes it. And he says, you know, I want to provide this to more veterans. So him and his wife leave special operations and they focus on getting special operations veterans um, out into the nature of Montana. And while they're doing that, they give them life skills from emotional intelligence um, decision-making skills, teamwork. They do like couples yoga and therapy, and it's just a great organization where they focus on transitioning soft service members. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's like the service member portion of it. They also do some couples work, which is just amazing. I've gone through the course with my wife. I recommend it. Any guy in special operations here, like take your wife to Montana. They have a beautiful spot. You're not going to be disappointed. But the, <laughs> the, the one that, um, the one that really gets me is called the crossing is where they take a gold star child and they, you know, out of special operations, like we like to like make fires and hunt and camp and drive cars. Your dad would have taught you that if he was here. And so now that he's not here, like who's going to teach you those things. And so what they do is they fly the gold star kids out and they partner them with guys who knew their father in service. And they go through like a 10 day leadership outdoor adventure kind of course so not only are these kids learning these skills, but they're also learning stories about their father, uh, father or mother that they lost from people that knew them. He could provide a, a, a view on them that we'd never seen. And it, it really drives the community together and that sense of legacy within our community to create future leaders for our country. And I got to tell you, like when you see it for the first time, if you watch that video and, and you know, you don't tear up, you probably didn't cry when old Yeller died. Cause I mean, it's, it's, oh, it why'd you bring that up, yeah. man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here come the waterworks. Uh, <laughs> that one in the red fern grows, dude. That oh, one got me on Look at you pulling oh, it out. Hell? Red fern. Man. No good. Well, man, Marcus is tearing up in there. I can see him through the camera. Well, glassy eyed. was rigged. Beautiful. <laughs> Griff, when you wake up every morning and you see the, the challenges that are just kind of they're ingrained in what we face as a, a global society. What is the driving component to keep pushing this? Because it's not easy, man. And 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 why you got together with Leo and wrote that book, man. What what message are you trying to tell the world to get involved and how? Uh, it's trying to show people that you, you can actually make a difference. If we all do a little together, we do a lot. If, if we can mobilize communities to just make a little bit of effort, a little bit of positivity, a little bit of increase every day, like over time, that adds up to great gains for us, either as a nation or as a species or as a planet. If we all decide to get behind something and just push forward a little bit every day, we're going to move forward. That's There's only one way to it. You know, join, joining special operations or becoming a Navy SEAL and Army Ranger isn't an overnight thing where hey, all of a sudden I wake up tomorrow in an Army Ranger, it's years of pressing forward and taking difficult challenges and taking difficult beatings and seeing your way through it. And eventually, boom, you're, you get your certification and then you, then you know what you are then. <laughs> you're at the bottom of the pile in your unit, right? And then you got to go through another 10 or 20 years of doing that. And then you transition out in the civilian world and you're at the bottom of the pile again, right? And it's just about showing people that it's, life's a constant struggle. It's a constant challenge. You always need to be pushing yourself. And if you really want to know, like, why I push myself so hard, it's because I love my kids. Like, I want them to have a spectacular planet that wow. they can grow up in and raise their kids in. Like, my daughter was born on my third deployment to Afghanistan, and I'm looking at her kids that I coach in wrestling and her friends, and knowing they're less than four years from going and fighting in the same war that I've been fighting in, that I fought in. Uh. Like, we need to, we, we really need to be thinking about this as a country. Like if, if we're going to do that to our children and like the reason why I'm not quitting is cause like, I don't want my kids to go through that. I don't think any of us should. Amen. Oh, man, we're talking about this kind of one of the first wars in our history where the, the dad and the son can have a conversation about war and some grandfather, father, son or grandson conversations about the same. Normally people, when they get out of there, like, Oh man, he never talked about it. I'm like, well, yeah, he did. He just didn't talk to you about it. He talked to his boys and all that. But now, you can sit around the table and, and hash out 
I remember how this, I mean, the literally conversation be like, yeah, back when the war first kicked off, it was harder. You know, so that, <laughs> it's not, but just amen to that. I mean, the way we win those is you go in because we're not pulling and holding any ground and we leave and it just goes, falls back to the way it was. So you, you had to start with the kids, man. I mean, they're not born into this world with hate or discontent or anything like that. That just comes off of what you said, the. Not being educated. I remember in not being educated. Yeah, in the village. I think one one Gulab's wife. She was the only one that could read. Matter of fact, she's the one that read the Quran to everybody. Really? Yeah. And uh, man, it's just you're right. And it's as simple as that. That the education part is the base basis for the your life platform, so you can push out. You don't have that, man. You're you're running in on somebody else's platform. Yeah, I mean, if you can't read what you're being put in front of you, you can't make a good decision. If you can't make a good decision, you're going to make the decision that somebody else makes for you. Wow. Well, listen, uh, where can, first off, thank you again. I mean, every time I hear you speak, I follow you, I read your post daily. Every time you just, you, you light that spark in me to keep doing what I do for a living to try and make the world a better place too. And I appreciate you, man. I love you for what you do. Where can people go and follow you? Where can they get the book? And, and how can they, they contribute to what it is you and your team are doing? Right on. So uh, we'll just make this super simple. Tasks is uh, just follow at Combat Flip Flops. That's just our, our Combat Flip Flops. That's our company post. If you want to follow me personally and engage, shoot me questions. Don't send me any dirty DMs, Marcus. Thank you, <laughs> please. It's, uh, it's, it's at cff.griff. Uh, Lee's at cff.lee. And so you can just, we, if you get into the Combat for Pops feed, you'll see us. You can interact with us personally. Um, if you want to buy the book, please do so. Uh, each one sold puts a girl in school for a day. If you guys want to get a limited run, hardcover, first edition, signed by Leo and I, they're 99 bucks, but they put a girl in school for a month. If you want one of those first 150, um, we have a few left. And so you can hop on the website and grab those right now. So. Or you want to get any other grab them right now. <laughs> I like, I like <laughs> one of those from my library. So if you could pull out the side, I'll, I'll send you. Oh, Marcus, you know I'm going to draw the inside of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, so just follow us on Combat Flip Flops. Buy the book on Amazon. Please, please, please leave a review. Um, that it's, it's hugely helpful to the mission. So thank you. Awesome. Griff, thank you so much for coming on, brother. God bless you and all the work you and your team are doing, man. You truly are making a difference. Thank you guys for the kind words. I appreciate you spreading the message. And I'm I'm proud of what you guys are doing and putting that positivity back out in the community. Amen. All right. What, What do you think about that cat, brother? I love his story, man, start to finish. I mean, coming up the way he did and the family that he did. And the stories about the, the wrestling, the same way with me was martial arts because yeah. I just get my butt just, uh, forever. I just think it's enjoyable to be able to sit down and, and listen to somebody talk about their life like that in, in the sense that he does. And then you can't, the whole purpose about the first part running in the craziness, right? And then the second part being the dad and giving back. I'm in that too. And it's the best part of life. I'm having, right? I have the best time, man. And being able to do something with you, that's what we're doing. I mean, he's doing something with his boys in that direction. And we're doing the same thing. Look how much fun we have. Oh, dude. I know, right? And, uh, and we're making a difference just like he is. You know, what kills me, though, is he's, mm-hmm. he's like, he, he's, 
opening manufacturing plants. So that like that story about that woman, I mean, that is unbelievable to me. Yeah, the, the one the biggest problems when we do the relief and send all the money, we usually send the contractors from right. Totally. So nothing actually ever happens over there. So the development, the education part, that's huge, man. Well, you look at the way you weigh what is the most powerful way to keep people oppressed, right? Everybody always wants to say it's through fear, right? The posture of fear. But the absolute way is you keep people ignorant, right? You, you yeah, limit, they don't know what they're afraid of, really. Totally. And you can force feed them an ideology. You can force feed them whatever information you want. And, in, and if, it, you know, through the power of groupthink, you, you're able to change cultural impression and and i think that's the most devastating thing if you don't have a kid that can get on and read a a book about history and understand it then man you've you've got them where you want them well and beyond just teaching facts figures you know how to do various topics of basic education it's also teaching a person how to learn learning is a skill that needs to be learned actually and that comes, um, that's a very, in my mind, a very important component of education. Something else that we didn't talk too much about, which is kind of just endemically implied by his whole business model here, is the importance as well of providing economic opportunity, which then yeah. creates stability. It's a foundation to which society can build off of. And that's a major difficulty for Afghanistan, which lacks, has so many problems um, just standing itself, uh, just standing itself up, creating a stable platform to which it can build, rebuild its society, and and advance it, and, and move you know closer into joining the uh, 21st century world. Um, well, that concept of the GDP, right? That you know, their GDP is six billion dollars. And what I what I remember when I first you know my second trip over doing counter drug stuff. Like eighty five percent of that was the opium trade, or or relative to that, right? The kickbacks, the bribes, the corruption. Well, when I went back again with the agency, man, it it was still in that realm where that they they were, you know, that the massive export industry of raw opium and heroin, man, is. So if you if you know if everything is a derivative of of. Uh, your financial well-being is is interlocked with that immorality, if you will. You, you know, your how you integrate into society to survive is going to be endemic of of that particular uh, part of culture, mm-hmm. right? And you look at you look at Africa, right? You look at Africa and why uh, AIDS and the culture of rape is so rampant. And you look at how uh, you know through their the the, the trucking industry and how it's spread. There's an incredible article that came out about eight or nine years ago about how the trucking industry is primarily responsible for the way uh, AIDS are spread and these ra- hmm. cultural accepted raping. And yeah, it's crazy. And you, and it's all through this, you know, oppression of information, this oppression, you know, to keep people ignorant. Um, and it's, and it's sad really. So to see a guy like Griff say, all right, we're going we're gonna to teach him how to do businesses. Man, that's genius. It would just be, this business model in practice, it, it, when you look at it, it just makes common sense, right? I don't think you need to be a, 
an economist to or a policymaker in Washington, D.C. to see that, it would be great if they could scale that. And I mean scale that on a massive degree. You know, one of the great takeaways that I got from Griff is, you know, don't be afraid to start small. Don't be afraid to go all in and really surround yourself with like-minded people that are willing to put the work and the effort in for a bigger cause or vision. And, and that's why, you know, guys like Griff, man, they're, they're out there changing the world one person at a time, one person in that factory at a time that can feed their family, educate their kids, man, that makes the difference. And I just want to highlight something on that, the people you surround yourself with. I didn't, under, I didn't realize that when they initially raised the seed money for that first factory, he said that the vast majority of that came from the community. And I thought that that was really interesting and telling of so many people who have been to Afghanistan, former service members or current service members that wanted to, that saw the value in what they were doing and they wanted to give back. I think that says a lot about the character of that community at large. Uh, absolutely. Not just fighters that want to go there and, well, we've and seen destroy. It. We've seen it in all these communities, all our friends that are starting these businesses, right? Yeah, I just think what they're doing with this is it's unique in the societally conscious element of their business. Absolutely. Well, listen, if this is your first time tuning in to the Team Never Quit podcast, thank you so much. What an incredible episode for you to start off with. If, if you're back for more, man, God bless you. We love you. Without you, we couldn't do it. I know if, if, if you're anything, uh, you've, the, the getting to access to people like Griff and all these other people that are doing these nonprofit kinds of ideas and, and, and creating a new strategy, a new approach, man, you are completely inspired as am I. Uh, we want to thank Westwood One Podcast Network for being our partner. Uh, if you want to know more about what it is we do and all the different shows, please visit our podcast, our website at tnqpodcast.com where you can download all the shows right there. Or you can find us on any other podcast platform. That's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, CastBox. We're streaming on Spotify, Stitcher, and every other mobile device where they uh, have podcasts available. Now, also, if you want to support our cause, so to speak, uh, go ahead and check out our merchandise on our website. We've got new hats and shirts. You'll love those. If you want to follow us uh, please uh, check us out. The show is at TNQ Podcast on Instagram. You can follow Team Never Quit at Team Never Quit. Marcus at Marcus Luttrell. The Wizard at The Wizard TNQ. Me at Team Frog Logic. All right, Dave, but before we get into the listener story, we want to tell them about Lightstream. You know what's great about credit cards? The freedom they give you to do things in life that we really want to do, right? And sometimes need to do. Dinner out, here's my card. New tires in the car, here's my card. But what's not great are those high interest rates. The average credit card company charges over 19% APR. But with Lightstream, you can get a low fixed rate for as low as 6.14 APR with AutoPay. Most people just accept those high interest rate credit cards as a necessary evil. We say to ourselves, well, what are we going to do? Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get a low fixed rate credit card consolidation load from Lightstream and pay off those credit card balances. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can get that money as soon as the day you apply. Head over to their webpage, and the first thing you're going to see is a tool to get a quick idea of loan cost value up front with no cost, no lengthy application process, just to get an idea of what Lightstream may be able to offer you. 
Lightstream rewards people with good credit to pay off those high interest rate credit cards. But you want an even lower interest rate? Apply today at lightstream.com slash TNQ and get an additional interest rate discount. That's lightstream.com slash TNQ for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash TNQ. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com forward slash TNQ for more information. All right. Let's get uh, let's get into that listener story. What do you say, Bob? All right. We always like to end the show with a great listener write-in story. Now, if you've got a great never quit, don't be afraid. Please uh, go to our website, tnqpodcast.com. There's a section there where you can share your greatest never quit story with us, with our readers, with this incredible community that has created this amazing, influential catalog of never quit stories that we just, we know are helping millions of people. All right. This is from Abby. I teach creative writing at Eastern High School in Louisville, Kentucky. I started listening to your podcast a couple years ago. The stories shared by your guests have had a direct effect on me as I navigate my life, so much so that I've decided to share your podcast with my students. Oh, man, that's awesome, Abby. Thank you. Last year, I only mentioned the podcast in class and played the students your super cool intro and theme song. That's all you wizard. Yeah, Yeah. The kids were the kids were interested and it helped me make connections with my JROTC students. But this year I decided to take things a step fur- further. In the past couple of years our school has dealt with several suicides. In one year we had two student suicides and the next we had a suicide among our staff. Over the 7 years I've been a teacher I've taught 3 students who have attempted suicide. I've had many more admit to self-harm, and still others recall that they've attempted suicide in the past. This year, I've already learned that some of my students have parents who are addicted to drugs, who were prostitutes, who have been deported, who have been murdered, and who have embroiled their whole families in bitter divorces. And that's just the stories I know about. My school is in the suburbs. Society assumes that suburban kids don't have problems simply because they're financially stable. But these kids have as many emotional issues as those as those from the inner city because they are isolated from their communities, sitting in the front of computer screens or cell phones and plugged into social media or video games. In this modern technological landscape, depression is common among teenagers. To help my students confront this in their lives, I've gone beyond just sharing your podcast. This year, I've decided an entire unit to guiding my students through sharing and writing their greatest never quit story. Wow, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. In this unit, we read similar stories told by adults and teens from books and across the internet. I also had them read your listener stories, and we listened to your episodes featuring teenagers Jordan Romero and Sadie Robertson. By the end of the unit, each student will submit a thousand-word personal narrative explaining how they have overcome some significant struggle. Despite many of these stories being painful to recall, 
students have embraced the opportunity to share them. In my experience teaching high school, teenagers are desperate for someone to listen to them, listen to them because they are often dismissed as moody, as moody or rebellious by their parents and other authority figures. In fact, some of my students have volunteered to tell their story is out loud. So I teamed up with the so I teamed up with the theater teacher to make Never Quit Stories the theme of our annual story slam. Twelve theater and creative writing students have been selected to present their stories at this after-school event in front of our friends and family. I wanted to share this with you to show that your message transcends political and social boundaries. It transcends age, class, and geography. Thank you for reminding us to keep fighting. Thank you for reminding us that we need other people. Much love and peace, Abby. Abby, I am blown away. Yeah. You are the second teacher mm-hmm. that we've had write out to us and say that you've incorporated our show, our message, or our guest message, really, uh, and listeners into your incredible teaching man thank you so much i i just i can't even believe it and the courage of those kids to contribute marcus at that level wizard i mean my god what i would love what we would love from you would you please send us some of video from that event and we will post that on our website if you could have those people videotape their stories and get with their parents approval and the school's approval Send us those videos, and we will post those on our site. My goodness, man. What a show, brother. I want to thank God and Christ and Jonna and the girls and my family. I want to thank Griff. Dude, you are doing it. There is, there is, there is, there, he is doing it every single day. All right. And I want to thank Abby for writing in and all your kids in your classes uh, and our listeners, man. Thank you. And gents, gentlemen, thank you. Uh, my dream is coming true. The fact that we get to do this show and help so many people. Those are the best stories. In those. <laughs> I mean, you listen to every word. You guys, man, we're so proud of y'all. I don't think that we're not. It's it's, it's great to uh, hear. And this isn't uh, on y'all, but when you when you spend most of your time in that phone you kind of lose a relationship with your friends and and what's important and how much fun everything everything you're looking into on that phone is standing around you in real life and, Amen. and you guys have, well uh, are starting to see that and seeing how much fun you can actually have uh with each other so man bless you guys and abby thanks for writing in keep doing what you're doing you're a phenomenal lady and um that that obviously shows on <clears throat> man griff <laughs> That's a good one, brother. You got your own shoe company. That's that's pretty that's pretty far out, right? I mean, yeah. that's, you, out of all the qualifications you can get going through life, man, that's a hard one to get, I think, right? But it's a cool one. Yeah, it is, right? And putting shirt on somebody's back or, uh, or footwear on somebody's feet, man. That and then the education part. So, man, bless you, brother. Keep going. And um, thanks to the Holy Family for letting us have all this. Thanks to my family for letting me have all my teammates in here and hang out with everybody around the globe because it's been a lot of fun. I mean, you, couldn't, you can't even make this stuff up. Those, guys, those of y'all that are part of the team and been here with us since the beginning, and thank you so much. And if, 
For those of you who are just stepping into the team, welcome to it. I mean, the bad times are behind you. Let's just keep pushing forward. I'm out. Ow!